Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trading in positive territory this morning following a strong session on Wall Street overnight. Seoul is up 1.5%. Sydney is in positive territory as well. Markets in Tokyo are closed today for a public holiday as Japan celebrates Yamanohi or Mountain Day. That's a day intended for people to get familiar with and appreciate the blessings from the mountains. Joining me now as we break down all the market action is Jack Cousy, Chief Strategist officer and executive director of the VFS Group, joining us live from Sydney. Good morning, Jack. Good morning, Michelle. How are you? It's been a long time. Yeah, it's always great to speak with you on the show. Last time you joined us for this segment, the big story of the morning was inflation. And that was Mm. exactly six months ago. So inflation is the biggest story this morning. But the outlook is quite a bit different from the last time you were on, Jack. When we spoke back in February, we checked it out again. Consumer prices in the US had just clocked in their highest level in 40 years. Inflation was 7.5%. Fast forward to today, the latest numbers indicate inflation may finally be moderating and investors are breathing a sigh of relief. And yet the actual numbers are worse today than they were the last time you joined us. Now, six months ago. Mm. That was six months back. The U.S. government reported overnight that consumer inflation jumped 8.5% in July as compared with a year earlier. So investors across the globe, Jack, are parsing these inflation numbers. When you look at them, what stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, it may be a signal that inflation is peaking. I think what stands out for me is if you take out food and energy prices, then our inflationary rate is around 5.9%. Well, this is for the US. What also stands out for me when I take that into account is if I look at the oil price over the last couple of months, um, we've seen a, you know, a real big drop in the WTI crude price. And I don't think it's actually bottomed out, um, in my opinion. Now, when we look at oil and oil prices feeding into an economy, it takes a little bit of time, right? Because, you know, you've got to take the oil out of the ground, you've got to put it into the refinery, and then the refinery pushes it out into the general economy. And the biggest one here is at the petrol pump when you're traveling and trucks driving from one side of the the country to the other. Mm. So, I mean, while the number we saw last night, you know, that's um, that's a very revisionary number. If we look at some of the forward indicators that we're seeing, particularly the oil price, which kind of gives you where inflation is going to be in the future, or a good gauge at least, then the market is starting to pick up that maybe inflation is peaked. And if inflation is peaked, that removes that massive barrier to the market that we saw in terms of, you know, growth stocks and buying and getting more bullish. So... The oil price, I think, is the one to be watching, and that, in my opinion, hasn't bottomed out. Um, and that may be a massive indicator, considering the number we saw overnight, that inflation may have peaked. Now, it's still too early to say, but that's where the market is leaning towards. Um, and that's why you saw the enormous rally not only last night, but that rally in the NASDAQ over the July period, where you know it rallied more than 12%. So... You know, they're the key takeaways that I saw. I mean, food prices still are increasing and we're still seeing an increase in real wages, which is an inflationary impact. But I think the oil price is the one that everybody's been looking at, everybody's been watching, and we're starting to get that feed in. Now, I don't think you get the full weight of the oil price that we've seen over the last three months until probably the end of the year. And that should push this inflation um, figure even down even further. 
As you say, there was a rally, so investors applauded the CPI numbers overnight. Stocks rallied to a three-month high. The Nasdaq jumped nearly 3%. S&P 500 rose more than 2%. So CNBC's Jim Cramer says the latest inflation numbers are, quote, nirvana for stocks. Do you agree, Jack? Yeah, I agree somewhat. I mean, I think they're nirvana for stocks, if I may use that word again. So these companies with, you know, high price to sales multiple and don't necessarily have a massive amount of cash on hand. Um, I think you saw a massive move into those uh, stocks last night and in the last couple of weeks. Look, I, I tend to agree. I think inflation has peaked. I mean, inflation at six or five is still not healthy. Um, and I think those are the figures we're going to see over the next six to 12 months. But they're much better than the sevens and eights that we had um, been used to. So I think it's going to be a bullish period for, for stocks. Look, I think August after this, you know, certain amount of Nirvana may not be the best period. I mean, August and September isn't. And the fact that you're coming off such an enormous rally, but I really believe we're setting up for an enormous Christmas rally from November to January. Um, and I think you're going to see m- uh, money flood back into the market mm. and they're going to flood back into those high growth areas that we liked before. And I think the NASDAQ is going to be a clear outperformer on most indexes around the world. Yeah, let's zero in on NASDAQ, now up 20% from its lows. So given all the negative market news of the past few months, I can't believe I'm asking, but is the NASDAQ back in a bull market? Yeah, I think we are, Michelle. I think we are. I think I really feel we're going to erase all the gains that we saw in the first half of the year. I mean, there are still some massive issues out there. Um, I think the biggest issue facing the market now is defaults. Uh, in terms of banking default. So uh, I don't want to change the subject, but I'll come back to the NASDAQ. I mean, you look at JP Morgan's report um, that came out a couple of weeks ago, not a massive amount of defaults in terms of their retail book. Now, it takes a while for higher interest rates to you know, filter through the economy in terms of home loans, repayments, and business loans. So I think that's still a little bit of an eyesore or something hanging over the market. You know, What are the effect of massive moves in interest rates so quickly having on the consumer and the businessman in everyday life? So I think that is something we're still yet to digest in the market. But you know, we're not, probably not going to get those in the next two to three months. And that really gives us a little bit of you know, free way to, to, to get a rally in towards the end of the year. The other thing I think overhanging the market is, you know, this geopolitical tension. We've obviously got Taiwan going on at the moment. That doesn't seem to be abating. You've still got a war in Europe. Um, you've still got a lot of tension in the world geopolitically, and that could be the real, you know, weight on markets. But we just came through earnings season. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't that bad. And I think people are looking for um, an opportunity to buy or a reason to buy, and that number may give us that and, and lead us towards the end of the year. Well, speaking of opportunities, if we zoom in on one of the most popular and closely watched tech stocks, Apple, we see its shares have nearly erased all of their 2022 losses. Apple shares up 16% over the past month and now down less than 5% since the beginning of the year. And one of its main suppliers, Foxconn, reporting solid earnings as well, though it is warning that the third quarter may not be as strong. What is your take on Apple these days? Jack, are you an Apple bull? Yeah, I mean, I've been an Apple bull for a long time. And I, I will say this, Apple is the greatest company ever created in the history of companies. And to borrow uh, Jim Cramer's words, don't trade it, just own it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Foxconn, you know, issuing a cautious approach to the next quarter, sure. But Apple is more than an, an iPhone company now. You know, Apple is much more than that. 
Apple is a streaming media company. Apple is a services company. Apple is the basis of billions of people's lives every every single day, and they continue to move that. You know, we talk about Apple Healthcare. We talk about the diversification in this business away from the consumer electronics and just selling you an iPhone. And they are very well diversified. This is a standout company that is very well run, that has enormous amounts of cash, and that is really moving into horizontally and vertically other areas of tech. So, you know, if anything's shown us in the last 15 years, you buy Apple on dips. Um, and this is one you want to own. It, it's, it, Apple's one you just, in my opinion, you own, you put it in the in the bottom of the drawer mm-hmm. and you hang on to it. And I, I don't see any reason why not to. Very well run. You've got your new uh, laptop computer coming out with the new M1 chip. Um, you know, the, the iPad is, has been amazing. Like the amount of people I see using iPads as a replacement to a laptop now Um and the services industry continues to grow. So uh, I think they're a standout and they'll do really well. Interesting. All right, let's segue to semiconductors now, Jack. Yesterday on the show, we discussed the new U.S. Chips and Science Act, which U.S. President Joe Biden signed into law on Monday. Now, the bill includes more than 52 billion U.S. dollars in grants and other assistance for American companies producing semiconductors. Micron has already announced a major investment because of it. China not so happy about the measure. It's attacked it, saying that it is a threat to international trade. What do you think, Jack? Yeah, I mean, this is this is an issue we've been seeing really going on since the Trump years. I mean, if we go back to the trade war, um, the real premise of the trade war was about semiconductors. You know, China has been trying to advance its semiconductor industry and its chip industry for quite a long time and have been investing quite a lot of money in trying to create a closed circuit for their market. In order to do that, they need to make more advanced chips. Um, and at the moment, they can't or they're trying to. And they need U.S. technology to do so. Um, and this is part of, I guess, sensing U.S. technology to allow the U.S. to benefit from it and not allow China to benefit from that from that chip technology. So, you know, this is a, a continuous move in the decoupling of these company, uh, countries from each other technological-wise. Chips are the most important, how do I put this, the most important, chips are the basis of every electronic device that we have in the world, mm-hmm. right? So whether it's a basic device like your washing machine or your microwave or a more advanced device like your iPhone or, you know, lasers or Internet of Things or robotics, they all rely on the chip. Um, and if you want to talk about Taiwan, particularly and why, you know, there's such a stoush over this between these two nations, well, there's this company called TSMC down there, uh, which is Taiwanese. Now, they control 85% of the world's most advanced chip market. So countries are realizing that you kind of have to nationalize your chip industry in order to protect it, in order to grow your economy and allow you to you know, be part of the new world, be part of the fourth industrial revo- uh, revolution. And I think the new world, the new de- digital technology is kind of a winner takes all. So... You know, this is a continuance of what we saw in the Trump administration. Um, and the chip bill is something that you will see, I think, across many nations. You know, Europe has been talking about a chip bill. The Japanese have been talking about a chip bill. You know, chips are like the new oil refineries. You know, you need to have access to them in order to ensure that you're technologically on par or innovating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're the new transports. You know, we transport the digital world on the back of a chip. 
uh, and this will continue going um, in the future. So, you know, th- this is a space that will continue to have news and, and continue to innovate as we go forward. Do you think China has painted itself into a semiconductor corner? That's a Bloomberg article out today, arguing that over the past 20 years, really, Beijing has tried to beef up its own semicon industry, but its efforts have been yeah. undermined by overambitious goals, corruption. What do you make of uh, China and the semicon game? Well, you mean, I mean, look, they've done a good job in... I mean, China, China consumes nearly 60% of the world's semiconductors. So it's a market that no one can ignore, right? And I think, you know, China has been for decades trying to develop a um, a local semiconductor industry without much gain. But they have made some big leaps and bounds in the last five to six years. I mean, they're nowhere producing, you know, a 7 nano M or a 5, uh, but they're very close to producing the 11. So yes and no. They understand that, they need to produce their own semiconductors. They understand that, you know, when ZTE got banned, that mm. the world was really starting to put a fence around them. Um, it's not easy. You know, producing these chips, uh, particularly the foundry component of it, is not easy. It takes a lot of work, takes a lot of money, takes a lot of research, and takes a lot of development. Right. Now, in some places, they've mucked it up. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but the one thing that we know about China is, they really don't stop, do they, until they get to where they want. Now, whether they can get there in the next five to seven years, you know, that's a question of waiting for the market. But, uh, yeah, they certainly have put themselves in a corner in some instances. There's no doubt about that. We love speaking with you about China tech stocks. And if we start with Alibaba, SoftBank selling off a large chunk of its stake in the Chinese tech giant, about one third of its holdings in Alibaba, to be precise. It's expected to net about 35 billion US dollars from the sale. Why is SoftBank doing this, Jack, do you think? Does it need the money or is this a good time to sell Alibaba? Yeah, I mean, SoftBank reported a couple of days ago, um, and I listened to an excerpt of an interview from um, Master on CNBC. He talked about kind of, how do I put this? Just going back into the shell a little bit, you know, redeploying, rethinking, being a little bit more conservative in this inflationary environment, being a little bit more conservative in terms of the investments they make and really kind of narrowing down their pool of investments into some key sectors. So, Look, there was talk about them doing this about two to three months ago. Mm. You know, they've sold a lot of things down in the last six to 12 months. I don't think it's a specific Alibaba thing, Mm -hmm. but rather, or a Chinese thing, in my opinion. I think it's just, you know, SoftBank refocusing and, you know, waiting for the next next wave of innovation and, you know, pulling in a a massive amount of cash in in anticipation of spending it somewhere else. So, you know, I think a little bit's got to do with the wall and, you know, threatening of Chinese delisting in the US. But I think more of it has to do with, you know, this is a soft bank approach to where they want to be. They've obviously taken an enormous amount of losses in the last quarter, which was, you know, reported in their report. Um, and, you know, there's going to be a lot of innovative companies to come in the future. And I think they're cashing up ready to, to, to spend being, you know, maybe in the next couple of years. All right. We can't let you go without talking about beer, Jack. <laughs> We've seen Carlsberg, Heineken and other beer makers report strong quarters. And I hear beer prices are rising over in Australia. Are you and your mates yeah. concerned about this? I mean, I drank so many beers in Fiji. I'm going to take a break from beers for the next <laughs> couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about food inflation. This is food inflation, you know. It's, wheat is a, is a massive component of making beer. Um, you also talk about maybe a reduction of spending rather than going to fancy restaurants and discretionary items. When we talk about alcohol, kind of a consumer staple around the world, whether you know that's a good thing or a bad thing, beer tends to be the cheapest component when you look at 
alcohol consumption. So, you know, people staying at home, having more beers or inviting people to their barbecue rather than going to a restaurant could lead to that. We also saw a movement away from beer a lot, a lot you know, to these ready ready to drink drinks and seltzers and etc. like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, this might be a sign of, of, and I go back to the market, I think the drag on consumer spending we haven't seen yet. You know, we've had a high savings rate amongst the developed world because of COVID and because of the the government subsidies and everything that we've had, you know, we're going to start to see a depleting of that savings rate. And we're starting to see that in the numbers. And maybe we go back to these, you know, non-discretionary items and staples and beer is one of them. Rather than having wine, have a beer, it's much cheaper. And that that may be a trend we continue to see. Interesting. Interesting. Always great speaking with you. Thank you for your insights, Jack. Michelle, thank you. It's good to be back on. Hopefully I'll I'll speak to you in a month. Yeah. Chief Strategy Officer and Executive Director, hopefully before a month, Jack. He is Executive Director of the VFS Group, joining us live from Sydney. We must break for news. Thanks for being with us. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.